Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're talking about your 4 and 18 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the burgeoning chemistry between Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes, the on-court struggles of Sadiq Bey, and a lot about Michigan football. This is now a college football podcast. You just gotta deal with it. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual triumphant co-host, Ben <laughs> Gulker. Ben, how are you? Uh, Laz, I'm doing good, man. I uh, I tweeted yesterday that I felt like yesterday's Big Ten championship football game was probably the biggest sporting event to me personally. Uh, since social media became a thing, I realized the Michigan Wolverines basketball team has had a couple bites at the apple. But I don't know, man. I'm just I've always been more invested in the football team for whatever reason, even though I never played football. I was always a basketball player. And wow, what what a season it's been. It's it's just been a lot of fun. No, absolutely. I I was uh, I was struck by how woefully uh, under equipped Iowa was to compete with Michigan in any stage of the game as I was watching that game and uh, the blocked punt is like when people were joking about you, you taking punting away from Kirk Ferentz is like you left him nothing. <laughs> right. like, yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a thorough deconstruction, mm-hmm. but yeah, congratulations. Uh, next up is Georgia. How do you feel about that one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to just be happy that the season went the way that it did. I did That's not a, yeah. expect this going into the season. I don't think, I, look, I don't think anyone outside of that locker room did. It's been, you can't really call it a Cinderella season because it's Michigan, right? But at the same time, I think this is probably the closest to a Cinderella season that Michigan football can have. So uh, they've surprised before. Maybe they'll surprise again. But uh, I, I think hopefully this is just the first step in Jim Harbaugh finally writing the ship for Michigan football. Well, of course, I hope that's not the case, but I am very happy for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, now it's time to talk about the Pistons, sadly. Uh, I, normally, we end with the schedule, but I wanted to start with the schedule because that's the most hopeful thing we can talk about uh, so far this week. Uh, the Pistons are currently on an eight-game losing streak, but they have an extremely eminently winnable game against the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow on Monday. But then it's Washington at New Orleans, which is also is picking up steam after a rough start, uh, and then Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, ben, how important is it for this team to get this win on Monday? Yeah, I mean, short term, I think this feels like a game you want to win, and you want to win it really, really bad. You know, long-term, does it matter if the Pistons win their fifth game Monday or not? No. But short-term for morale, 
uh, for attitudes, which, you know, remarkably, Dwayne Casey in his time with the Pistons has done a really fantastic job, uh, you know, of keeping spirits up, of minimizing drama, controlling personalities and all that kind of good stuff. But look, I've been on winning teams. I've been on losing teams. And when you win it, or excuse me, when you lose eight in a row, you just you just want to win. You just want to win so badly. So, uh, yeah, I hope Oklahoma City is the win. New Orleans, the last I heard about Zion was that he was just re-entering like four on four, five on five stuff. So I don't know if he'll be expected to be back. New Orleans could potentially be another win as well. Two wins in the same week would feel, I think, like a huge victory. But yeah, let's let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's go ahead and get this win against Oklahoma City. Absolutely. Uh, did you see Oklahoma City's historic loss to the oh. Memphis Grizzlies? Oh, oh, oh man, I did not see the game. I saw the score. I saw the lowlights and the highlights. That was man. That was ouch! That, that's like worse than JV and varsity, isn't it? That is. That was. It was really bad. It was really bad. Uh, it was what Memphis had like eleven guys in double figures or oh, something like that. It was incredible. That was a that was a beatdown. But it was because Oklahoma City was missing uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, their rookie Josh Giddy, and I think Lou Dort. And so if none of those guys also play against the Pistons, I will feel much better about the Pistons taking that game. But uh, that is to say that like the the Thunder are in a, a very liminal place right now, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Pistons were able to take that game. Last I had heard about Zion, he had just suffered a setback, I think, oh, in really? his okay. uh, yeah in his recovery, and so uh, but like not a super serious one. But I I truly doubt that he will be available for this week's game. Um, but yeah, this is this is I hate to call any game in December like a must win. <laughs> Right. Especially for a team we expect to be at the bottom of the standings, like you pointed out. But yeah, like the this season was supposed to go poorly, it, but they were supposed also supposed to avoid these type of like long losing streaks, especially after like integrating Cade fully into the like into the lineup and into the rotation. Uh, I, we looked at the schedule like two weeks ago. We knew this West Coast, this West Coast road trip was going to be really tough. Um, it, it like it has been. Uh, the Pistons have played, uh, they played poorly in some of these games, but they haven't played like awfully. Um, but they also like haven't been competitive for the last, uh, for the last couple of games, and it's just been it's just been a, a rough sight to see. Um, the the one shining spot though has been Cade Cunningham. The play of Cunning Cade Cunningham this week has been exceptional. Um, he had a career night against Portland. I think he had a career high twenty six points. Um, he's averaging over 20 points and over 50% from three this week. You know, Ben, last week we talked about the shot profile, the concern about the shootings. Like this week he should, he shoots 50% from three. We can't complain. But the thing we can complain about a little bit are the turnovers. He had five turnovers against Phoenix, six turnovers against Portland, and five turnovers against the Lakers in the uh, in that second game. And he's, I think he only averaged like less than three assists this week. The low assists are... Not always his fault, but still kind of a bummer. So, Ben, what did you make of, like, the the good and the bad we're seeing of Kate Cunningham this week? Yeah, the big positive, obviously the shooting. And, obviously, like, to me, this just felt super timely. Um, it was, you know, from a fan perspective, I think everyone is just begging those three-point shots, willing them into the basket. Very timely to see him knock down some shots especially, you know, after we on the podcast were a little bit critical, particularly me <laughs> last week. Um, I, I thought he took really good shots this week from behind the arc. 
Um, I thought he did a really good job of taking shots that were in rhythm and off the pass. I really liked the way his shot looked this week when he was taking catch and shoot jumpers. His form off the dribble, I'm I'm not totally sold on yet, but I thought he looked really nice uh, in a catch and shoot, taking rhythm threes. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Um, I also liked particularly, um, I want to say the Portland and Phoenix games, they kind of stood out to me in terms of um, playing a little bit more inside out. I mean, he's still taking a lot of threes, but I, I like the way that he really attacked the rim uh, and put pressure on the defense off the dribble and let those threes come uh, off the pass instead of the dribble. I thought I thought that was really, uh, really nice to see probing off the dribble and then just taking the threes in rhythm. I thought that made a lot of sense. And yeah, you're right. The negative was the turnovers. Um, you know, they seem really sloppy and careless, though. And I'm still sort of convinced that I think this is something he can continue to course correct on, potentially even during the season. Uh, the Phoenix game, you know, jumps out to me. Um, like he had this turnover where, you know, he brought the ball up the floor and the first pass is one he needed to make. He dribbled the ball over the wing. Uh, needed to swing the ball over to Jeremy Grant to start the action. And the defense just jumped all over the pass because it was very obvious what was going to happen. And he still threw the ball. So, you know, those are the kinds of plays, Laz, where I look at those and think, yeah, five, six turnovers a game. That's terrible. Like, that's objectively really bad. Um, You know, he had another one in that Phoenix game where he kind of, it was sort of like a slow secondary fast break, and he dribbled the ball. Um, sort of into no man's land towards short corner, three guys sort of grouped around him and just slapped the ball away, right? Like those are the possessions that you can think, yep, that that is definitely going to improve. And when it does, it's going to be, you know, obviously a very good thing for his game. So the good thing, the shooting, thank goodness the ball went through the hoop. Secondarily, I was really impressed the way he attacked the rim, um, particularly in that second half spurt against Phoenix where they closed the gap a little bit. Um, and the turnovers continue to be, I think, the the easiest part of his game to fix and completely normal and expected for a 20-year-old kid handling the ball in the NBA for the first time. Yeah, I, I remember that turnover that you talked about, the first one, uh, initiating the action at Jeremy Grant, because uh, I believe it was Mikhail Bridges who caused yeah. that turnover. Yep. And it's like, that's like that's a first team, second team, all NBA defense type of guy. And it's like, and it was a quite like quite a lazy pass. And it's like, nope, that's a that's a KYP. You have to know who is guarding Jeremy and like what kind of person that is, what kind of defender that is, and and treat them like with the respect that uh, that they deserve. And you can't make that lazy a pass. Um, and so like, yeah, the, I I also remember that one because I was like, up, oh, yep, that like that one won't happen next year, right? right? Like he will he will be a little bit more familiar with guys, and he'll he'll know uh, not to do that next time. Um, I do, I do wonder more about like the second type of turnovers that you were talking about. The um, like just dribbling the ball off of his foot. Um, he does, he has like um, he'll drive uh from the top and do like a little half spin to get a shot off, and he'll lose the ball going back on the half spin a lot, and uh, like so much so that like I noticed it, which is like when I know like something is a is actually a problem because I need to see <laughs> things like seven times before I remember them. Um, but yeah, I, I think. I think uh, the improvement of like his handle of his dribbling ability will like have to, that'll have to be like an off season progression thing. Um, but like, that's, that's a much needed step. Uh, and I think will make him um, a more efficient player and, and a more, uh, you know, a, a player less likely to turn the ball over, but yeah, no, overall this is, this is a great week for Cade. 
Um, what what I really liked is I also liked the uh, the impetus to like get inside the arc and make stuff happen. I was a little dismayed that he was not always rewarded with free throws for that uh, for that effort. But I think you know that's a little bit of that is like rookie stuff. Like I think he will get more calls as stuff goes on. Um, another part of it is I think uh, he he doesn't like shy away from contact. But he shoots like a, around the rim. He shoots a lot of hook shots to make up for his lack of like uh, like uh, big elevation in traffic. And so I think if you're if you're shooting a lot of like jump hooks over smaller guys, it's harder to get fouled on those than like if you're trying to like extend through arms and, and getting whacked on the arm and stuff like that. And so I'll, I'll be curious to see if that is like uh, if that remains like a thing that uh, that he has to t- he has to find more ways to take advantage of like the, the dark arts of foul drawing. Right. As opposed to just like worrying about, uh, you know, getting a shot blocked uh, by uh, NBA rotation defenders. Yeah. And I think it was the Portland game where he took sort of like the left-handed baby hook as well. And mm-hmm. on the one hand, that was impressive. Like to see him go to the offhand that way and finish so cleanly. On the other hand, I think you're right. Like there's, there's an opportunity there to maybe initiate some contact and get, easier buckets than the the tough sort of spinning fading left-handed baby hook yeah yeah and a lot of those buckets came off of killian hay killian hayes assists and so um that was another thing that i think i enjoyed this week was the seeing the connection between Cade and killian kind of grow um you can really see it like on the court there's two tall playmakers who like know where each other are know where um, know where their shooters are at all times. We've seen Cade hit Killian on backdoor cuts like twice this week. Um, once was on uh, Russell Westbrook sleeping, and once I think was on Chris Paul sleeping. It's like that's you know Chris Paul's a really smart dude, but like still being able to get uh, sneak a pass by him for a layup was pretty impressive. Um, Killian is at Cade on some open threes or some. You see Killian pushes the ball a little bit more than Cade in transition. So you'll see Killian like orchestrate away for Cade to get like trail threes or, or corner threes uh, in like semi-transition. Um, I've, I've really liked the way that those two have played together and it throws into stark relief like what Cade was missing when Killian was uh, was not playing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing uh, Cade's recent like uh, play be buoyed by like the return of Killian Hayes. What do you think of that, Ben? Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair assessment. I think, you know, Cade very likely has been by far the very best player on every single team he's played on. Mm-hmm. And so I think having another guy like Killian Hayes, who's also very good off the dribble, it is probably a learning experience for Cade, right? And I think we're starting to see just over the course of 20 or so games how some of this can come to fruition. You know, I'm of the mind that when you have really talented players, a lot of times those those talented players can overcome concerns about fit. And I think going into the season, there were some concerns shared pretty broadly that these two guys might not fit together. And I think we're starting to see that actually uh, there's some really cool synergies that are happening. You mentioned the backdoor uh, passing and cutting that was happening. I think that's a very obvious synergy. The other thing that I think Killian Hayes deserves a whole lot of credit for is Uh, His improved catch-and-shoot shooting, Um, whenever it comes to catch-and-shoot guys improving, you know, I'm just, I'm a big believer in 
the guys deserve the credit for putting in the reps because the only way you get better at that kind of stuff is thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. And clearly Killian has done that because, you know, he's become pretty deadly from the corners, um, which a year ago at this time, you know, I, I think all of us would maybe be hoping this is a year or two away and here he is doing it. Uh, currently so yeah I mean I think they probably sort of think and see sort of the same way they both have great vision they both have some really good point guard instincts on offense and I think that's turning into them finding themselves and finding each other in advantageous situations and taking advantage of that so you know amidst the the losing this is definitely a bright spot and I think bodes well for the future because I, I think they're starting to put to rest this idea that they can't and shouldn't play together. No, absolutely. I, that makes me that makes me wonder, but or not makes me wonder. But uh, that was a little bit of a point of discussion. Um, it was like Killian's improvement shooting wise, like who to attribute that to. And you were like very staunchly on the um, on the side of like no, like shooting improvements come from within, right? Like they come from a lot of reps. Like someone can help you. Uh, form someone can help you like diagnose your form but like you still have to make the necessary changes to uh you know to make your shot into a better one and make your shot like what it what it should be um and i I thought that was an interesting discussion but that also made me wonder what you think about the regression we're seeing from sadiq bay right like uh sadiq is turning down shots now in a way that's very disconcerting I am officially like hashtag worried about Sadiq. Um, he looks indecisive. He looks caught between decisions, right? He looks like he's caught between the shot and the drive uh, at all times. And he doesn't quite know what to do. And it's turning into passivity, right? It's turning into, uh, well, like, let's just take two dribbles and like reset the offense, which is almost like worse than like not shooting the ball at all. Ben, you know, who do we, who do we attribute like this, this poor, run of play to uh, from Sadiq to and like how do we make it better we not we but you know what I mean right I know what you mean I'm Les I'm really curious to to hear what you're saying as well um I've really been trying to pay attention to lots of different voices and opinions on this because I'm really confused by this I this is a a situation that I really don't feel like I have my head around you know if, if Sadiq were struggling off the dribble struggling off the looks that he's getting in the mid post, but still knocking down open threes, it would be really easy to say, yeah, he, you know, he's just sort of struggling with taking the next step, right? He's, he's struggling to expand his individual offense, but that's not what we're seeing, right? He's struggling individually and he's turned into a guy, as you mentioned, who's not just missing shots, but not taking shots. And that to me, when he started, um, doing what you just mentioned that to me also uh, sort of sort of turned from okay this is just a slump to okay you know we, we've got a real thing here that's a little bit concerning um here's the thing i i'm not much for like the intangibles i'm not i'm usually not that guy mm-hmm. but one thing i really do believe is that players need to be confident and either to in order to perform well and Sadiq passing on open looks to me points to a lack of confidence. So the question is from a coaching perspective, how do you, if that is the diagnosis, how do you, how do you treat that? Right. There's a part of me that, that has wondered all season is, is Sadiq just fatigued? 
kind of by default, he plays a lot of the power forward role defensively. He's banging inside. He's hitting the defensive glass particularly hard. Is he tired? Um, is it sort of this pro- progressive fatigue where by the time he gets to the place where he's taking an open jump shot, are his legs just not there because he's tired? And and if that's the case, then maybe he just needs a few days off. Um, so so I've been wondering, what if you just rested him? It wasn't a like a benching for poor play. It wasn't a demotion. It was communicated very clearly to him and to the public. This is not you know, we're not benching Sadiq. We still believe in him, et cetera, but we're giving him a few days to get rested. And and you slide someone else into the starting lineup for a little while. My vote would be Hamadou Diallo. I feel like he's played the hardest and been the hungriest. But I don't know. What about giving Sadiq just a break? Let him reset. Let him get in the gym. Let him take, you know, several hundred shots a day and just get him out of the game situations to get his legs back under him. So that's, that's my best guess, Laz. But I don't know, man. What do you think? I, I don't dislike it, right? I I do think that there is something to uh, confidence being a prerequisite for like good performance. And so I do think that, you know, you need to find a way to manufacture some confidence for Sadiq. The tough part is, is like you would prefer to be able to do that like in game, right? Like yeah. you'd have like this is this is Sadiq's like set play. We get him a shot from like the right wing where he's most comfortable and like he knocks it down and then like we move from there. But uh, because the problem is with his shot, like you, you don't want to, you don't want to like force feed him looks and, and, you know, you know, make his confidence go even lower if he's not able to hit some of them. Exactly. So I, I don't, I don't mind the rest idea. I do think it is a good thing that the Pistons have, had like three days off, I think three or four days off since their, their last game to the, to their next one. I hope that helps. And, you know, you always feel like that, that exhale of relief after a long road trip coming home. And so I'm hopeful that that'll be um, another point in his favor. Uh, We talked a little bit about Oklahoma city and uh, their, you know, lack of performance uh, earlier this week, perhaps, you know, perhaps playing him against a team that's struggling as much as Oklahoma city would also like be a good thing. That'd be a good, a good confidence booster. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say that we, we haven't thought, I haven't thought about, you know, making a change to the starting lineup or making like a rotation change. So we have a, we have a front page post from Justin Lembrexi, uh on Detroit bad boys, like right now with like 200 comments on it that has like uh that has different ways of shifting uh, Sadiq Bay like out of the starting lineup. And so like, this is absolutely a, uh, a concern and something that like a lot of people have been thinking about. Uh, I, I, oh, and the starting lineup, I don't, hmm. I don't mind Hami. I mean, Hami has played really well over the last couple of weeks and he brings that, like we always say this, right? He brings that element of being able to pressure the rim in the half court that is not really shared anywhere else across, uh, the, the roster right now, um, but I was I was wondering I was thinking more about like Frank Jackson and that's only because we've seen Dwayne Casey pull out that look this week right the Cade Killian Frank Jackson look and uh, if Frank if Frank is knocking down his shots like that that is a perfectly like fine lineup to to go to and so that is that is the direction I was leaning but like I don't I don't like if you're gonna pull Sadiq from the from the starting lineup I don't think there are any like wrong answers per se. 
Yeah. From a confidence perspective, if I'm going to pull Sadiq out of the starting lineup, I'm going to rest him for a few games rather than force him to come off the bench. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously I don't know Sadiq as a personality, as a person. You know, I defer to the coaches on that, but that's how I would approach it because I think from that perspective, you're making it clear we still believe in you. We just want you to, to get your legs right and get rested and come back to it. Frank Jackson or Hami, those would be my top two choices. And it's sort of a 1A, 1B. The thing I like about Hami is Killian likes to run and Hami likes to run. And we don't often <laughs> yep. get to see those two playing at the same time together, right? Like we get the Corey Joseph Hami minutes and that's like they're just they're just push-pulling and fighting against each other. Corey just wants to slow it down and dribble the clock out and Hami wants to run. So it's mostly a philosophical, like do you want, do you want another shooter out there or do you want to run? And good Lord, I just want to see the Pistons run a little. And we we saw like one singular flash of that, right? In Phoenix, where Killian had the nice outlet pass mm-hmm. to Hami for, for a dunk. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah that, that could happen more often, but it, yeah. it just doesn't. So that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I, I do think, though, that you're you're right, though. It's like if even between like Hami and Frank Jackson, like it's 1A, 1B. Like it, it's not uh, it's not that. The, the the gap between those guys' effectiveness is they do different things, but the gap between like their overall yeah. effectiveness is, is so small. Like I don't I don't think there's any there's no like clear answer uh, there for sure. Yeah, that's the optimistic way. the The pessimistic way is like you're shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Like it's <laughs> you're gonna lose either way. <laughs> so yeah, just pick your poison. Uh, pick the way you would like to lose. Right? <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, next guy I wanted to talk about a little bit was Jeremy Grant. Uh, Jeremy Grant yeah. scored 34 points against Phoenix. Um, he looked, to my eyes, more aggressive when they were having him follow a specific blueprint that they devised, like specifically for Phoenix. Uh, that blueprint was like get Jeremy Grant switched onto a smaller guy and have him back him down. Uh, Jeremy managed to shoot a bunch of free throws in that game mm-hmm. and uh, I think was decisive in a way that we haven't seen him be in the past. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you, Ben, like is, is a more specific like game to game opponent to opponent blueprint uh, one way the Pistons can get more out of Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I think this is an interesting idea. I, I think you're absolutely correct in your observation about the Phoenix game. I think they did a really good job of putting him into mismatches that were advantageous to him. And then Jeremy did a really good job, I think, of being extremely decisive about what he was going to do with the basketball. Um, I think, Laz, maybe you said this a week or two ago, you don't want Jeremy overthinking things, right? Like, you want to give him the ball. And in my mind, like, I'm thinking back to all of the coaching I received in high school and college. Like, if you're dribbling more than three times, you're probably not accomplishing something great. So I feel like that with when Jeremy Grant has the basketball, when he's dribbling three times or less, like I, I feel like the odds of a good outcome are pretty high. If he's dribbling more than that, I'm worried that we're going to see like the 17 foot fade away. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you can scheme appropriately from game to game, find the mismatches that are advantageous to him and coach him up to attack quickly I think you can point to this this Phoenix game as a very clear demonstration of how he can be extraordinarily effective offensively. And if you can get him to buy into that and let him defer all of the dribbling to Killian and Cade, I was I was so impressed with Jeremy. I thought, you know, as particularly the Phoenix game, 
if he could play that, he's not going to score 30 points every night, but mm-hmm. if he could approach the mismatches and the offense that way for the next 60 games, I mean, I would be his biggest fan. I, I thought he approached the game particularly well, and I hope we see more of that. Yeah, me, me too. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way that, that, uh, that engagement on offense like also translated itself defensively. I felt like mm-hmm. Jeremy was uh, yeah. Yeah. made some strides uh, against Phoenix in that uh, in that game. I do think that it's really important we uh, it's really important for Jeremy to see the the fruits of his labor that yeah. you know, come from uh, being a like secondary or uh, like tertiary ball handler, right mm-hmm. from. Yeah. From letting Cade and Killian do their thing with the ball, and then just getting to getting to attack, um, simplifying the game like in front of him, and being successful doing it, um, I think is like the, the biggest thing. Because you could, you know, obviously from a coaching perspective, you could try and like simplify things for Jeremy. But if the the team struggles and the ball isn't going through the rim, he's going to be like, well, like you know, I you know, I'm the highest paid guy on the team. I'm uh, they bought me here to to buoy the team offensively. I'm going to try and do that. And to to have success offensively, so that he doesn't feel like he has to, you know, enter takeover mode. I think like that's that's really important. And so I, you hope, you know, Jeremy's not going to score thirty every night. Cade is not going to score like twenty six every night. But you do hope that like that uh, that prioritization in the offense, like who gets to handle the ball more, you do hope like that level like does shift more towards Cade than towards Jeremy uh, like it has over like the last like week or so. Um, yeah. One, one more guy who I don't know, this is up and down week for Isaiah Stewart, Ben uh, he had back to back double doubles, which is like, that was surprising to me that I think the uh, double double against Portland was his first double double of the season, yeah, which was just like you. a shock. Um, and maybe, maybe more importantly, he shot a couple of mid range jumpers against the Phoenix Suns. Ben, getting hit in the face by LeBron. <laughs> Unlock Beef Stew's jumper. Uh, how much should we pay LeBron to come punch everybody, I guess is the question. Like, should the, should LeBron punch Sadiq? <laughs> right? Like, let's, let's square off, right? 1v1. <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, Beef Stew, a double-double 20-ish games into the season after – for a while there last season, like he was just a double double machine, right? Like yeah, like twelve and twelve every night. Yeah, it was just it was just what you came to expect. Um, I appreciated that he took some shots. I appreciated that he was opportunistic um, offensively. I, look, I still think there's a there there offensively for Isaiah Stewart. Um, you know, I come back to that cross up he had, the crossover against Joel Embiid in the Philly game early in the season. Uh, top of the key, took it all the way basket and finished. Um, I, I think about some of the jump shots he made, particularly last season. And this season, he's been apprehensive to take them. I don't know. Maybe there's a coaching mandate in place that they don't want him shooting. I'm not sure. I, I still think there's some offense to be unlocked. And I, I was really happy to see at least some glimpses of it. I hope we get more of it. Um, he and Killian, I think, are, are still doing some interesting things in the pick and roll. We don't see much of it. But, you know, he's not a lob threat, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been sort of crafty around the rim. Like, he, he finds ways to get his shot off. Um, even if he can't jump over everybody and dunk it. So encouraging week for Isaiah Stewart. I really hope, Laz, that this unlocks some of his willingness to participate in the offense and take some jump shots because 
he he's too young. There's still so much untapped potential there. Um, and I really do think being a consistent double double guy it is within his realm of possibilities. But he's not going to do it if he doesn't shoot the basketball once in a while. And and we saw a little bit of that this week, I think. Yeah, I think the so I, it was interesting to me to, the progression of the week because when you looked at the Portland game and the Phoenix game, uh, like collectively, what Portland was doing defensively from the jump was like trapping the primary ball handler. And so you would see Cade uh, like enter in these like beautiful slip passes to Isaiah Stewart um, with like the defense scrambling to recover. And if Isaiah was like willing to pull the trigger, he had open 16 footers like as often as he wanted them, but he wasn't taking them. You could see him like searching for dribble handoff partners along the perimeter. And um, that was, playing into like what Portland wanted to do on defense in a way that like wasn't conducive to the Pistons offense. You know, you see the next game, um, you know, Phoenix is still playing and drop for the most part, but uh, they, they, you see Deandre Aiden, like also like giving Isaiah Stewart the space to do things offensively to move around. And he's willing to take the jumpers this time around. And so I, you know, I would be, I would be shocked if the coaches like didn't show him this film and be like, Hey, like you, you can take these jumpers. I don't. I don't think there's a coaching mandate on, you know, what kind of shots Stewart isn't is or isn't allowed to take, um, and so like, I think this is this is like an Isaiah Stewart thing, not a, not a, yeah, uh, a coaching agree. staff thing. I agree. Um, and I, I like the fact that both of the jumpers went in. That is a is a good way to promote a guy taking more shots if he's making them. Um, and I didn't even I didn't even mind that they were like you know long twos instead of threes. I don't I don't feel the need to have Stewart uh, you know try and like back out to the three point line or only pop to the three point line to feel like he has to take a jumper. I want him taking jumpers where he's comfortable. I want him I want him being a threat offensively. And if that means like doing stuff he's comfortable doing offensively, and if that even if that that even if that stuff is inefficient, like that's fine. Just uh, you know, and, and they need production from that starting center role offensively. Um, and it was good to get it this week. Laz, while you were talking, you know, what comes to mind is um, one of my all time favorite Pistons who unfortunately never won a championship, Antonio McDice. Um, you know, he came to the Pistons post injury, right? So mm-hmm. he was no longer the high flying dunk over everybody pick and roll man. But he made a living taking 16-foot jump shots, right? Um, I feel like, why can't Isaiah Stewart do that, right? Like, you don't want him shooting 10 of those a game, but if he's shooting three or four, he at least becomes a threat. He creates some space, and if he's knocking down a couple of them every game, I don't know. I I see only good things if if he starts to do that a little bit. I agree. And I I think your your other point about – uh, him not gonna he's not gonna take ten of them. It's like he's he he isn't going to take he's not going to hijack the offense to take Correct. a bunch of eighteen footers, right? Like yeah. that is that's not the concern. The concern is him, you know, hijacking the offense by not being willing to shoot, not mm-hmm. not him taking the wrong kind of shots. And so, like, yeah, I I totally agree. I think if if defenses treat him like a non non like a non entity on offense. He should take whatever kind of shots he wants in order to get them to not do that and to, you know, bring defenders out of the paint to open up room for some of those like Killian and Cade backdoors we talked about earlier to to open up driving lanes for a, a guy like Sadiq or, or Jeremy, right? 
It's like there there are ancillary knock on effects to Stewart being willing to take these offensive jumpers in a way that um you know benefits the other four guys on the floor. So take more shots, Isaiah, please. Um, yeah, that was that's basically it for this week, Ben. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything I, I missed in, the, in this week's wrap up? <laughs> we didn't talk about Corey Joseph too much, so maybe we could talk about him a little bit. You, you <laughs> want to talk about Corey no, Joseph? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, man. I mean, this was a week where we expected to lose and, and we lost. So, I mean, that, that's what happened. Let's go get a couple wins this week, though. I, I, I really do think it's time. I think they really have to target Oklahoma City and New Orleans. Um, I'll just say this one more time. I really do think that confidence matters. And it's, it's really hard to be confident when you're losing game after game after game after game. So even though the goal is not winning this season, I think they need to get a couple wins and, and they need to start be- believing that it's possible instead of, you know, making all of these fourth quarter runs where it doesn't come to fruition in the last three minutes like it did against Phoenix. So let's go get a couple wins and uh, sort of reset things. Uh, you know, we're 22 games in, right, Laz? I mean, we're a quarter of the way through the season. They need to see some wins. They need to start believing again. So so let's go make that happen this week. Absolutely. Uh, I will plead with uh, Sam Presti to hold out Shea Gillis Alexander for, for one more game, please. Uh, ben, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find what you're working on, uh, where they can find uh, how you guys are celebrating Michigan's uh, entry into the uh, college football playoff. <laughs> you can find me at brgulker on Twitter. We can celebrate the maize and blue. Um, man, oh, Laz, even you as a Spartans fan, you got to be hoping they beat Georgia, right? I was so underwhelmed by Georgia's performance against Alabama uh, on Saturday. It's like, sure, go ahead, beat Georgia. Uh, I, <laughs> I love it. I, as as a as a purveyor as a as a person who desires chaos, I'm really rooting for Cincinnati, right? Like that. That's pure chaos. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I will be pulling uh, in some small way for for Michigan as they go up against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. So I will say that regardless of the sport, basketball, football, those are the two I follow. If there is ever an opportunity for the Big Ten to do something special on the national stage, I'm going to pull for them. So, Because, look, I think Michigan State benefits when the Big Ten does well. And so, look, I'll cheer for Tom as the one the Spartans when they're not playing Michigan. So, Laz, I'm going to challenge you. Do this. Do the same thing. I, I, I do the same for the most part. Uh, <laughs> I have exceptions. I build in exceptions. Wisconsin. I don't root for Wisconsin in basically anything because uh, their their basketball team is just like horrendous basketball to watch. And so, from an entertainment perspective, I can't. I can't root for that. Right? Like, I can't root for. Uh, games in the 50s like don't don't make me do that (laughs) i also thought it was funny like if you watch the pregame intros for uh the michigan iowa game like the best iowa football alum they could muster was some dude in the wwe that i've never heard of so i i just thought that was funny wait who was who was the michigan alum i missed the pregame Uh, charles Charles woodson charles woodson (laughs) hall of famer (laughs) 
Oh my god. No, Charles Woodson flying the Michigan flag along the sidelines. Like Charles, like how I mean, some yeah. modicum of like it, even hand is like, no, I refuse. extra at that point. I mean, you had you had Charles Woodson <laughs> and Desmond Howard doing the pregame. It was a little it was a little too much, but I don't know, man. I'll I'll take it. It's like, yeah, the, the Iowa claims of media bias that like have some basis actually this time around. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but then they scored three <laughs> points, so I'm not sure. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to help yourself. Okay, uh, be honest. When they uh, when they tried the halfback pass to the to the tight end, and went, oh like, my over, gosh, it's like how nervous were you? Oh, I was I was so nervous, and then uh, obviously that didn't work out. And then the the Wolverines did the the same the exact, exact same. thing on the next possession. I think my response to that on Twitter was save that for the championship game, which of course is dreaming a little bit. But but still, yeah, I was extremely nervous because. Iowa like pulled out all the stops on that first drive, and then from there it was just total domination. Yeah, they they really needed a touchdown on that first drive, and when they didn't get it, it was kind of over. So, <laughs> it was yeah. over. All right, thanks. Everyone, <laughs> this for was a great to... episode of the Michigan yeah. Wolverines football yeah, podcast. Thanks, thanks for listening to our football podcast, guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, you, can <laughs> follow, you can follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's uh, at L A Z C H A N C E. Where I where I pray that Kenneth Walker actually plays the bowl game because that would, that would be nice. He has zero reason to, but it would be nice if he would. Well, how about, how about their head coach? Oh my gosh. 10 years, 90 million or whatever it was. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's fine. That's not my money. Yeah. No, I, and I it's not the school's really, money either. It's the donor's money. That's so. true. See, the thing is though, I really love that because look, from my perspective as a, like you look at Iowa's head coach, he's been there 20 plus years or whatever. Like, I'm a big fan of telling all of your recruits, like, we're committed to X, Y, or Z, right? Like, whatever X, Y, or Z is, like, you commit to that head coach and you tell everybody, this is who we're going to be, this is what we're going to do, this is what we are. So I'm actually a really big fan of that, and obviously he earned it. What a fantastic season for their football team. Absolutely. Um, I I love the the culture that Mel Tucker is building. I love the renewed focus on recruiting in a way that I felt like had really slipped in the latter years under Mark D'Antonio. Um, and I, I like the fact that like we had a Michigan state team this year that could score 40 points. That, that felt good. We hadn't had that in a while. It had, it had been some time. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to start a college football podcast. <laughs> it <laughs> will be the, the, um, if I'm participating, if I am participating, it will be one of the least informed from an X's O's perspective. <laughs> as there could possibly be but hey we'll we'll uh, sing the praises of the coaching and recruiting that's all right absolutely all right everyone thank you for listening to this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast we really appreciate it and we will talk to you all next week see you